assessment weekly. Um, obviously, we've been running this for 28 sessions before. Uh, this happens every Monday at 12 o'clock. Um, we try to invite up to four founders to come and share their stories. Uh, the session lasts for 60, sec 60 minutes, split between um, three of us. Uh, the first session, I sort of get a chance to get to know the founders, uh, understand their founder journey, uh, that initial team, etc. And then Andrew steps in 20 minutes after to um, get understanding of the fundraising journey. And then the last 20 minutes uh, is taken up by Stuart, um, trying to understand the growth plans going forward. So we pretty much covers quite um, important areas of, of a tech business, UK tech business. Uh, and um, we share everything now uh, uh, through uh, Spotify and other channels so that uh, more and more people can understand the challenges faced by tech companies as well as the opportunities and some of the amazing uh, innovations taking place in the UK. Um, so without further ado, uh, Andrew, would you mind introducing yourself, please? Yeah, my name's Andrew. I'm based in Manchester and have a health tech startup that does scheduling software for the NHS. Thank you, Andrew. Stuart? Afternoon, everybody. Yep, Stuart Townsend, based out in sunny Lancashire. Uh, I consult to B2B um, SaaS companies on how to build indirect channel. And I've got a couple of interests, one in a podcast data company, the other in a UK-based SMS company. Thank you, Stuart. So my name is Manoj Ranavira. Uh, I've been involved with tech since uh, 2004. Uh, previously held to build the uh, Manchester tech, tech ecosystem from 2006 to 2013. Uh, these days I run an organization called TechCelerate, where we work with early stage UK tech companies from pre-revenue to a million plus um, uh, through a membership scheme. Uh, we focus on product, and commercialization uh, more than investment itself. However, um, we have been collecting investment data of UK tech companies since May 2018, and we have turned this into a web application called Daylight. So as part of that, we get to know founders. We have two press release sites, one for investments, one for M&A, uh, and, and that's our sort of first touch touch point with the uh, UK tech founders. And this series is a continuation of that, uh, of building a relationship with uh, UK companies. Um, and uh, um, so so this, uh, this is brought to you by D-Lite and Texarate. Um, so we tend to go through how the founders are presented on the screen, on the clubhouse. So we have Donald first. Uh, Donald recently raised Series A uh, with his company's Passport. Uh, Donald, would you mind um, explaining your background? Uh, what made you create this company and what was that founder team looked like, please? Sure. Thanks for the introduction, Manoj. Um, my name is Donald Gillis and I'm CEO and co-founder of Passport. And just to give the context, Passport is a software company, uh, a reg tech company here in the UK, uh, which helps financial institutions automate their compliance processes and ultimately fight financial crime. Um, a little bit about the, uh, I guess, founding story uh, to begin. Uh, I actually started Passport with my co-founder, Henry Irish, um, on an accelerator program called Entrepreneur First. That was back in 2015. And uh, ever since then, we've been building this business together. Uh, my background prior to starting Passport was uh, initially uh, within the private equity space. So I moved down to London, having graduated in uh, with a degree in financial economics from St. Andrews University, uh, and then spent two years working for um, an infrastructure fund, buying and selling energy companies. Um, I left that role and got myself onto a mini MBA program. Um, that was part-time kind of uh, uh, kind of leadership, entrepreneurial finance uh, strategy courses, and then part-time secondment into a growth stage startup. Uh, and it was uh, when seconded into uh, an early stage crowdfunding startup that I was responsible for helping that company get regulated, 
which meant um, setting up its compliance processes, working with the regulator to get our license approved. And that was really where, uh, I guess, I experienced firsthand some of the problems that Passport now helps its customers solve. Um, so, yeah, that's a, a kind of whirlwind overview. Happy to answer any more specific questions you might have. Thank you, Donald. I'm, I'm sure Andrew will have some questions. But would you mind sharing that very early stage when you joined Entrepreneur First? Did you join with a, a clear idea uh, or, or is it just you wanted to start something and, and you, you just had some idea and, and you join and they help you to refine that idea? Yeah, well, I think um, I think the real world is what helps you refine your idea ultimately. Um, yeah, for, for, for myself and my co-founder, Henry, I think it's safe to say that neither of us joined solely with um, the, the idea of Passport in, in the form that it now exists. Uh, we, we, we ultimately had kind of, I guess, five different problem spaces that we thought might be worthwhile exploring, uh, discussed those with EF, ultimately secured our places on that basis, um, and then spent the first kind of three months of that program just exploring those areas, those problem spaces with prospective customers and trying to get a feel for how big the problem was, whether people would pay uh, money for us to solve it and um, I guess ultimately trying to uh, iterate our way towards um, what we felt could be a viable business. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think the hardest part of the entrepreneurial journey for a lot of people and, and myself included is actually just taking those first few steps. And then really once you've started, um, especially if you're kind of all in from a financial perspective, then uh, at that point, it's much less about the idea and more about the execution and uh, are you actually listening to prospective customers, taking that feedback on board and ultimately using that insight to make changes to your um, idea, to your product or, or to your go-to-market strategy? Um, so, yeah, the reality is we definitely didn't start with the idea for Passport in its current form. That was uh, a kind of iterative process that came out of a whole bunch of uh, customer work that we were doing as part of the EF program. So, Donald, uh, by the time you left Entrepreneur First um, or, or the program, did you have a, a, a skeleton of the product or is it just an idea firmed? Uh, or, 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 can you explain about that? Yeah, yeah. The, the uh, program, please? Absolutely. So as I say, we spent the first kind of three months um, speaking to a lot of prospective uh, users and customers. Um, so what that really meant in practice was we were speaking to a lot of uh, fintechs, uh, a lot of kind of startups. Um, uh, and then we were also speaking to um uh, prospective users uh, at the total opposite end of that spectrum also. So we were speaking with some of the kind of big six financial institutions here in the UK. Um, and and yeah, in its most kind of basic form, that was literally just called outreach into those prospective users or customers and saying, hey, uh, this is a bit about our backgrounds. Uh, here are the problems we're interested in. We'd love to take you for a coffee or a beer and, and kind of learn more about uh, the problems you focus on day in, day out, and, and it, whether or not we, we might be able to help you solve some of those. And most people are quite respect. Uh, we find most people were quite receptive to that. People love kind of speaking about um, their own backgrounds, their their own insights, their, their, their own businesses. And we kind of leveraged that, I guess, to start chipping away at the, the broader problem space and, and using that to kind of, um, I guess, focus in on, on a, a specific product that we we, we, we felt the market might uh, get benefit from from having access to. Um, so, yeah, but one of the common themes that we kind of saw when we were having those conversations is that um, quite a lot of organizations, irrespective of the scale they operated at, were really struggling with how to operationalize and implement kind of best, pack, best practice process um or, or compliance policies and operating policies at scale. So you, you, in order to get a license to operate from the regulator, you would essentially kind of submit what is effectively a, a kind of form of business plan to say, this is how we're going to onboard customers. This is how we're going to um, monitor those customers. And this is how we're going to kind of, I guess, uh, these are the products that we're going to offer to them and the respective kind of, uh, 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 kind of view of risk that, that, that we think each of these products uh, carries. And, a lot of businesses kind of had really um, <clears throat> solid definitions of that on paper, but they struggled to implement it in practice. So they didn't maybe have the development resource in-house that could build out the systems and processes required to manage that um, across a, a team and across a business which was scaling. There wasn't off-the-shelf software products that people could buy to kind of configure those processes and manage them day in, day out in the same way that you can 
purchase Salesforce for a sales and marketing funnel, for example. Um, and, and that represented a real opportunity to kind of, I guess, start to occupy some of that space. Um, and we felt that the kind of <clears throat> initial jumping off point should be focusing on how we could help fintechs build better systems and processes with, uh, I guess, um, a more efficient use of their development resource. So initially uh, at the time, um, the kind of first wave of reg tech was really focusing on how do how do we give our customers access to verified data points, <clears throat> excuse me, on individuals and companies. So there was a lot of companies springing up in the reg tech space that were just focused on solving some of those problems. So you could almost consider them to be point solutions. So there was uh, providers like Onfido uh, that were getting started for verifying passports or identity documentation. There was providers like Comply Advantage getting started for um, things like PEPs and sanctions screening. So all of these APIs were being created and brought to market. But if you were a customer, you were having to negotiate kind of commercial deals with each of these providers um, and to, to run a kind of fairly simple onboarding process that could result with kind of four or five providers across all of these different check types. And then once you've kind of paid for access and negotiated access to these different services, your product and development teams were then having to integrate those services into your core systems, which again means kind of usually four to five integrations. Um, so the initial problem that we kind of focused in on was, was that one and said, okay, well, how do we make it simpler for businesses to get access to these data sets and then ultimately build them and use them in their kind of uh, core systems and processes? So we, we came up with the idea for Passport. It was a single API to access many different verification services around the world and uh, a much kind of um, cleaner and, and, and simple, simpler um, and more modern uh, API for, for developers to work with. Um, and yeah, we, we did our first four commercial partnership deals with some of the biggest vendors in the space. We then started offering that to customers. And, and that drove the adoption of our first 10 clients or so. And then since then, we've expanded the product portfolio. But I'll kind of pause there, I guess. That, that, that was the initial product that we took to market. Thank you so much, Donald. If you don't mind muting, and uh, I'll, I'll move to Ingmar. So, Ingmar, you are uh, helping uh, students find jobs. Um, obviously, this is a very fragmented marketplace. Would you mind explaining what actually got you interested in this particular area? And, and uh, also sharing your previous experience and also details of the founder team, please. Yes, sure. So thanks for having me, Manoj, Andrew and Stuart. Uh, it's nice to be here. Um, yes, yeah, so what um, piqued my interest in the space was actually uh, three years ago, I founded a marketing consultancy and we looked at a problem that we had, which was that in the service industries, it's hard to scale your agency. It's a very linear process. You have to get new employees, but you can only get them when you have new projects on the other side. So, and we were at this uh, London startup fair in, in 2020, present with a booth. And we had a lot of students, like young talents, applying to that agency. And we thought, ah, oh, like we need, we need to hire these people because human capital is, is all you have when you're a marketing agency. Um, but we couldn't because we didn't have the projects on the other side. So then and we came up with an idea to connect potential new clients with these young talents uh, through a platform. Um, so uh, clients like BMW, for example, could post a challenge, like a marketing challenge. How can we market uh, this new car for the Generation Z? And then these young people could um, post their ideas and pitch their ideas to BMW. The winning team would then partner with us as kind of a professional partner um, to implement that project. And then this way we can onboard both the new client and uh, new, new talents. Um, and for a few reasons, we didn't uh, continue with that exact idea, but it was the starting point of thinking more about how young people manage their careers and what problems they have finding uh, relevant work experience, internships and jobs and so on. Um, that was back uh, last year in, around October, and um, there I really started um, to see how that problem grew organically when it comes to students. And uh, this is when I decided, hey, I, I, need to, I need to follow this now. This is, this is actually something that I feel like I can solve this problem. And this is where I started uh, arranging a new team uh, to tackle this. Uh, yeah, so my background was, uh, was originally marketing, and that, that's why, uh, why, why I had this interest for, for, this, for this very fragmented market, like you said. So was it just you starting this, or did you have co-founder? 
I have two co-founders. So then in November, um, I reached out to a, a friend that I knew from a mutual friend from Vancouver back at that time. And he was, he's really a kind of a salesperson. He was born in uh, Tehran and Iran. Um, he then moved to Vancouver to go to school there and then moved to London to uh, visit university. And he just recently graduated from UCL in, in July. And he's really the, the salesperson. Then we have um, another co-founder. His name is Amit. Uh, Amit is our developer, and I met um, him through LinkedIn. So I posted uh, a job ad saying, hey, I need a co-founder, I need a developer. Um, something like Someone likes this idea. And then Amit applied among 50 other people because at that time, many developers lost their jobs because of COVID. So there was a huge wave of applicants. Um, and he was the third guy I interviewed. I initially knew that, yeah, this is the one. Uh, started onboarding them, and then we, since January, really started building on the app, on the product, iterating. Um, we had the first test launch in March at a few universities, and now we're properly launching in London um, as the new freshers are, are coming into university. Um, thank you, Ingmar. Um, if I move to Alex now. Alex, um, I'm 53. Uh, Andrew is our toddler in the group here. Um, tell us about what you're building for 60+, plus, please, and also share us... Uh, details of your, you know, what what made you start this company? Uh, who were you? Who, who was in your founder team, uh, and and your background, please? Sure, thanks, Manoj. So I will premise this with the number of people aged over sixty is uh, going to rise sharply over the next thirty years, as I'm sure we are aware. This demographic consists of a generation of people with considerable uh, time and spending power. They are internet savvy and they're ready to embrace new technologies. So Murphy is one of the fastest growing online communities for what we call boomers over 60s in the UK. And today we offer online events and experiences that cover a variety of activities from fitness classes like Pilates and yoga through to entertainment like uh, musical concerts at home. We had a piano concert that someone delivered from their front room on Friday over Zoom. Cooking demonstrations, dancing, craft workshops, and then lots of educational lectures with more to come. Our hosts are generally over 60 themselves. They are amateurs they're passionate about a particular subject they might be an ex-history teacher or um or, or a pilates instructor that's that's kind of winding down their their time we have a growing base of over thirty thousand users from our launch 18 months ago and um, our big global ambition is to be the platform for lifelong learning and social connection with a community of tens of millions of people. A little bit about why, why, why Murthy, why over 60? I'm, I'm not over 60 myself. It came down to me and my co-founder, Drew, our experience with our parents. So my mum's early 70s and my dad's late 60s. And when my dad left work, I, f I felt that he'd lost a bit of a sense of purpose, that he had found an employment that really wasn't being filled in retirement and uh, he was hanging around the house all the time quite frankly just getting on mum's nerves and I saw they were bored and they wanted to do things they wanted to learn something new but even though they were bored they said they were too busy and uh, Drew saw the same experience with his parents and so we started sending them educational TED talks we started sending them some literature and YouTube videos, and we saw the difference that this had on their mental and, and also physical well-being. So that's why we came together to build this platform and curate this amazing content and offer it to, um, to millions of people. Alex, thank you very much. Um, I'm running out of time, so if I move to Mark. Mark, we met once, I think, at an event. Uh, tell us about Bankify, and uh, you seem to be trying to do quite a number of things, uh, almost like you are touching uh, maybe Access Bay in Manchester, but also trying to probably do what Zero and others are doing. Um, again, if you don't mind sharing what made you start this, and a bit of background, and and that initial founder team, please. And then Andrew will take over after you finish. Thank you. 
Sure, hi. It, it, it's Bankify, by the way, uh, Manosh. Bankify might sound a bit uh, a bit dodgy if we were to call ourselves that. So, <laughs> uh, it's Bankify. Um, so, why did I set this up? Um, basically, because I got a little bit tired of um, the hearing about how fintechs were going to take over the world and stop um, requirements or stop the requirement and the need for for banks. Um, I've been working in financial technology for the last 30 years this is the third startup i've done in that space so it was kind of a a reaction to um uh the, the fintech industry if you like to say actually not everything that banks do is really bad um a lot of what they do is really good um what they do need to do is service their customers better so we set up the business back in 2016 specifically to help financial institutions um help service their small to medium businesses better and, and our definition of a small to medium business is um anyone with zero employees all the way up to 200 so that's the european union definition of what a small business is so we specifically chose to sell our services and our products to help businesses like ours um but to help our banks do that better so um we try and get our banking partners and customers to think more about what a bank needs to do for its customers rather than just provide them with a bank account and some payments and um, services into helping um, businesses like ourselves to run and operate. So what we do is we transform the mobile and internet or digital channel experience that a bank has for its customers from something that's purely transactional to um, somewhere where a business can run and operate from. So we try and get the banks to think about workflow processes rather than products. So rather than thinking a current account or a loan or a checking account um, or a savings account, we get them to think um, in terms of order to cash or procure to pay or financial management so that you can do your whole experience of running a business from your bank channel rather than from piecemeal putting it together. So you might do your um, uh, your accounting um, in an accounting package, you might do your invoicing somewhere else, you might do your um, getting your loans from uh, from a bank, you might do um, other bits of your financial processing from all these different places. What we're doing is putting all that together inside the bank's mobile and internet banking channel and actually focusing the banks on helping to solve two key problems that face the vast majority of small businesses um, and that is um, lack of time to do admin work. A lot of those businesses that we're trying to service, um, by definition, if they've got less than 10 people, won't have an admin or finance department. So we're trying to get those customers to use technology provided by their banks to reduce that admin burden and to help chase late payments, which is a massive burden um, on the vast majority of UK businesses. Um, we have aspirations to do that all over the world so we've recently opened offices in australia new zealand um singapore uh, and we'll open an office in north america before christmas and we've also got banking clients um um uh, uh, that, that operate in, in all those um places so what we're trying to do is build a global um technology business from manchester um uh, and you know solve problems that are not unique to the UK um, and not unique to the UK banks um, all over the world. And as I said a minute ago, my background is um, I've done this. This is the third time, the third startup I've done it all in the financial technology space. First one was in cash management. Second one was in pay, uh, payments. And this kind of brings those two experiences together, but servicing um, a particular cohort that's been very, very underserviced by most financial institutions globally. Mark, th thank you very much. I'll just stop you there so we just kind of loop around to the second part of the programme. But th thank you very much for that kind of uh, background in introduction. Um, if you could mute yourself now, Mark, great, thank you. Uh, we'll go back round to, to Donald at uh, past, past Thoughts. Um, yeah, it was great to hear kind of what you're talking about. And, you know, being in health tech, you know, I'm, I'm thinking here, oh, that's interesting. We've got a lot of compliance here. Is there, a, is, is there something else that can be done around that? But uh, maybe that's one for an offline, offline conversation. Um, what I'm interested to explore with you is, you know, you said you've got a background in um, kind of private equity and the hardest part of the first step. Now, I noticed it was six years between your 
kind of initial seeds uh, in 2015 and your recent Series A. Um, what what happened during that time, and what was that journey? And um, you know, why? Because you've got a small amount of PC and then a you know a decent amount of Series A. Could just kind of talk us through that, please. Yeah, sure. Happy to. Um, <clears throat> so I think I think realistically, um, the the product that I described was kind of the the first building block of what became the Passport platform. Mm. So quite a lot of what we've had to. Uh, invest in uh, specifically over the first kind of three four years of the business's life uh, time was was ultimately just uh, taking as much of our cash as possible and investing that into products and engineering. Um, yeah. So it wasn't really until 2018 that we started to commercialize the product that we built, and then 2018 uh, through to today is is really when we've uh, kind of properly defined our sales process, started to recruit sales and marketing teams, and ultimately built a customer base and, and grew our revenue stream off, off the back of that. So, so yeah. were you bootstrapping during that time then? Um, I, well, we weren't bootstrapping in the traditional sense, given that Henry and I didn't really have the net worth to be able to fund the business ourselves yeah. uh, over that period. But uh, yeah, we, 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 we were probably in the sense of having a relatively small amount of investment. I think our, our first raise was something like um, just under 700K. Um, and that pretty much lasted us through until um, uh, 2018, when we when we then raised the uh, as, as I would call that kind of our pre-seed round. We then raised the yep. seed round, which was close to three million in 2018. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, the more recent raise, uh, the one that we've just announced uh, in in uh, the last few weeks, is is 11 11 and a half million uh, Series A. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely been a story of build the product first, invest as much of our capital in in those teams as possible, and then once we were quite comfortable, we had a best in class uh, kind of offering. Then we started to to invest into sales, marketing, and that required further funding. We raised our seed round around about three million, and then um, yeah, obviously the progress we've made off the back of that then then drove the the fundraising discussions this year. Yeah, and did you find much of a um, or what was the difference to define between your was your pre-seed seed and your series a in terms of the uh, you know the, the the due diligence the scrutiny and and so on you know what, what was that uh yeah um yeah. so pre-seed i guess was very quick um again this is one of the big benefits of the entrepreneur first network is you kind of get access to um investors that maybe you wouldn't have got access to if you were um, having to build those relationships organically uh, so you can kind of use the power of the network and the brand in, in that sense um so yeah when we raised the pre-seed round the, the 700k round um in 2015 we we had two term sheets within kind of two days of finishing um the ef program which was right. uh, i think at the time the fastest uh, that an ef companies raised i think companies have since beaten that um but then when you compare that to the kind of uh seed round uh, again we we benefited in that seed round in 2018 from having very supportive investors so it was actually our existing investor base who, who, who contributed the follow-on funds required for that um uh, uh, so they, they contributed probably about um uh, i don't know 60 70 percent of the funds and then we brought on a new fund open ocean uh who acted as the cornerstone for that seed round um so, yeah, we, we kind of benefited in the sense of already having a big pre-commitment from our existing uh, shareholders there. So we're just looking for one uh, kind of cornerstone lead investor, which which is obviously much easier than trying to pull the full round together. Um, but, yeah, the, the judo, that was the first time we properly experienced, I guess, due diligence of something that we had. Well, we, we had a business that needed to be diligence by that point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Series A this year was a, a massive step change in terms of the detail of that diligence. Um, uh, the deal itself was negotiated probably in, in the space of four weeks, uh, but the diligence then took a further kind of four to six weeks to actually complete. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the new investors, the U.S. Uh, growth equity fund, Level Equity, they, they went through they went through everything uh, with a, a fine tooth comb all, all the way back to, to the founding of the business, which which was quite intense. Yeah. Thank you very much, Donald. Love to talk further, but uh, time time better's on. So, uh, yeah, appreciate that. Uh, Ingmar, um, across to you at Hustle. Um, I was interested to hear about uh, your investors, the 10X kind of founders. Um, it seems kind of an interesting group, is it, of kind of, uh, of, of entrepreneurs by the looks of it. Could you just uh, tell us a bit about those? Yes, sure. So uh, 10x probably the the nicest investors I've, I've met in my nice life. Nice investors, um, great. That's what we like. 
Ama amazing investors, yeah. Um, so yeah, exactly. So I think they're a group of in total five or maybe even six uh, people now. Um, all have been prior founders, founded um, big companies in different sectors. Um, and yeah, they really understand uh, the founder's journey. I think they pooled their own capital to create um, this fund, the 10x group fund. And with that, they invest into to other startups. Now, when you say the nicest one, I mean, did you uh, did you speak to a number of potential investors or uh, kind of angels? And, you know, what, what do you kind of compare that uh, kind of with? And, and what, why were they nice? Did they, just, did they get it, you know, being founders themselves? Yes, so um, we talked to, numbers, uh, to, to a number of investors. They were all, um, most of them were all uh, really great investors. Um, we had also an interview with Y Combinator, and uh, the team on that interview, the questions they asked were brilliant, and they immediately got the concept, and they immediately asked the, the important questions and kind of skipped the whole, um, uh, usually the questions we get from other VCs or other investors. Um, and with 10X, it was similar. Um, they really uh, asked the, the important questions, and it, it felt like, wow, these people have done three to four months of uh, thought work uh, that we went through in like a week. So um, it, it was really impressive. <laughs> and this is what we've seen with Y Combinator and also with uh, 10X. Brilliant. Yeah, well, so, uh, yeah, they, they often say some of the best uh, and unfiltered advice you get is, is from, uh, from these investors. So it's great to hear that you... Uh, uh, you, you you experienced that, um, and that that was kind of uh, you said that there was there was two founders there. Um, so did you were you both kind of presenting here, and how did you um, you know was it much kind of focused on on the founding team, or was it on on the idea of itself? We are three co-founders in total. Three co-founders, um, yes. Yeah. So me, kind of on the marketing side, then I have Parham, who's the sales uh, yep. person. Then we have Ami, who's the developer. And yes, it was mostly about uh, the team at that stage. We had some prior traction from companies and from students, and we've um, launched a product, so we weren't pre-product. Um, it was mostly about the team, and they really challenged us um, logically on the idea, which was extremely good because when we went through that due diligence phase, which took around, I think, one and a half or two weeks, we even pivoted, pivoted a little bit uh, because we saw their feedback and, and, we, and, and we realized that, hey, you know, maybe um, we need to um, do it differently. That, that's interesting. I mean, was it uh, so, you know, so that pivot was a direct uh, result of the feedback you were, you kind of kept hearing during the uh, investment process then yes exactly it was a very um it was a tiny uh mm. pivot but a very important one still um and yes brilliant well ingmar thank you very much um uh, appreciate y y your time and move on to alex at uh, murphy um yeah i, I, I recognize is that a t one of your taglines uh stop your dad getting on your mom's nerves um <laughs> <laughs> i love that one uh yeah i, I recognize that um now, but you know, you're going for kind of a big market here, kind of the boomers, uh, you know, internet savvy, disposable incomes. Um, yeah, how, how did you kind of present this? It's also, uh, you know, it's a big market, but also, you know, potentially a, a busy one. So how was this kind of presented and uh, how, was, how was it received when you're doing your investment journey? Well, we went through an interesting journey, opened the round in Jan. Uh, we started out wanting to raise 250 to 350 uh and, and really targeted angels and got some some great exited founders who were up for putting something like 50k in each um but we weren't quite getting above getting to that target of 250 plus and so started going and speaking to some vcs and it, it really is a bit of a a it's a bit of a broken process because when it got to April, we got a term sheet from Ascension from the Impact Fund, the Fair by Design Fund, which interestingly focused on a part of the business that um, it was focusing on more individuals on low income from low income households, which wasn't in our pitch. So there's an interesting dynamic there, and we pivoted slightly the pitch to. Um, secure that funding and, and now we're going down that route but once we got a term sheet from Ascension the fear of missing out amongst the other VCs we were speaking to meant that we were able to close uh, super fast within okay. kind of four weeks we were able to close a lot more than 
we had uh, initially set out to raise as well. So in the end, closing 800K. So FOMO plays a massive part in the process. And, and did you leverage that yourself then, that, uh, that, that kind of fit, fear of missing out with, with the other investors? I mean, it, 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 I mean, and also, is there not a risk that, um, you know, you, you kind of pivot ever so slightly or you focus around kind of one particular investor, but then that's not the direction that maybe the other ones kind of want you to go in or they see kind of the, the longer term? Yeah, that is a risk. And so our lead was Ascension, was an impact fund. Uh, and it, there's no question that Murphy has a, is a, has a, a social mission. Uh, we set it up to tackle loneliness and social isolation. It was one of our, our core um, impact goals. But um, the other VCs, and we got four in total, they made it quite clear that we're, they are not impact funds and they are yeah. um, commercially driven, which... Of course, Ascension is as well, even even though it is an impact fund. But um, they were able to see uh, that our plans, the fact that we're commercially driven first, impact second, and um, uh, they were fine with that. Correct. Thank you. What um, you know, did you have uh, an MVP uh, kind of the, the point of the seed, or you know, what what state was the was the, the the product and the site at at that point? Yeah, we had an MVP, so we uh, it's probably too long to go into now, but when we actually launched in January of last year, the idea was was about utilising um, underutilised spaces in the community for offline events, mm. and we got a partnership with a retirement builder. Obviously, COVID completely destroyed that business model, and so we brought the platform, the events online. <clears throat> but <clears throat> by the time we started this round, we had an awful WordPress site that managed to convert something like 20,000 users at that point. It did what it needed to do. But a key bit of feedback we got from, from Jamjar and, and some of the angels was the, the, the product, the website looks crap and you need to invest in this, that and the other. But to answer your question, we had an MVP. Uh, we were revenue generating, I think something like 8,000 a month, so really low. But um, that was enough to, to secure the investment that we got. Yeah, because it, yeah, it certainly starts to kind of prove what what, what you're saying, Alex. Uh, appreciate appreciate your time. Um, if you can mute yourself and what, uh, Mark, um, to finish on you for the last, last few minutes, uh, talking about the, the the fundraising journey. So, at uh, Bankify, now you've got a really uh, interesting um, set of investors, which are uh, not not ones kind of we see often. You've got Nationwide, you've got the Greater Manchester Combined Authority. Um, is, is that because of the nature of, of the work you're trying to do with Bankify? Uh, t- tell us a bit about those, please. Yeah, so we, we, we're trying to um, uh, get, I guess, a, a split between initially between public and private investment. Yeah. So, w- 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 I mean, we started the journey off in 2016. I, I funded it myself for a couple of years. Um um, we then worked with the Startup Factory, a local um, uh, Manchester-based uh, tech provider, to take my MVP that I built and and kind of round that out more. So they had a, um, you know, they have a sweat equity model. So they helped us build our team of yeah. tech people, and then um, we actually got some um, angels involved um, through a loan, a convertible loan note, um, and that was people from all. All, all over the world, actually, uh, five or six folks um, in the financial services industry, because obviously that's who we were targeting. And then, um, as you say, we got Nationwide Building Society and their venture fund um, to invest a million in, into the business um, back in 2019. Um, and and we, we wanted to do that because obviously it's great to have um, p- people on your cap table or organisations on your cap table and on your board um, uh, that represent the organizations that you're selling to and then obviously to have gmca and equally pritora come on um um is 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 really helpful but we also took some debt finance as well so the round that we just closed is is not just been equity based um it's not it's not been publicized but we also took um a, a chunk of money from innovate um uk um from the from their uh, loans process and um we'll be announcing another financial institution coming onto the cap table as well so our model is to actually get um financial institutions um on our cap table because that's who we're selling to <laughs> yes. um and 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 they 
they therefore understand what you're trying to do they understand how difficult it is to sell into that cohort but they also provide great input into how your product gets shaped as well so yeah it was a it was a it was a a a, a real strategy to get a combination of financial institutions private equity or private um funding from the vc world as well as public funding from um from obviously from gmca because it, it, it's really important that they recognize yeah. what we're doing by trying to grow a business outside or from manchester outside mike so, so thank you very much i'll just um we'll, we'll finish off kind of this part of uh of today now so you to kind of put yourself on mute uh and we'll, we'll i'll hand you over to stuart who will pick up um on the, uh, the the future plans over to you Stuart. thanks andrew um donald we're going to come back round to yourself um and just understand a little bit more like andrew said just about the investment side what you're going to use that for forward and just understand again from your side you're, you're building this platform and who your customers are and how you're going to gain them um, so just i'll open with that question first uh, yeah, so I guess focusing firstly on who our customers are and, and how we're going to gain them. Um, I think Passport in the early days really focused on winning fintechs as clients. Um, they tended to have the most immature kind of compliance infrastructure and therefore saw the most value in using the APIs and, and platform tools that we were building out. Um, what we've done over the years is kind of, I guess, uh, continue to, 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 to use fintechs as a foundation of strength for the business and continue to serve those customers well. And we have a good reputation in that space. Um, but we've also looked to push up into the mid-market financial institutions um, and improve uh, our client footprint there and then use, their, uh, use the maturity that a lot of those businesses have in their compliance operations to uh, continue to, to shape our product roadmap. Um, so, yeah, we, we got a lot of fintechs that use the platform. Increasingly, we have a lot of FX uh, platforms that use uh, Passport, uh, trading businesses, payments providers, um, uh, a lot of dealer brokerages. Um, so that's our kind of uh, core sweet spot. And then, as I say, we're kind of starting to, to push up uh, e e even further into the, the mid-market and kind of, um, I guess, tier three, tier four FI uh, segments by 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 um, yeah, looking to target uh, some some larger uh, banks uh, over the next 12 to 18 months. Um, so that's the kind of client footprint in terms of how we target them. Uh, historically, it's uh, been entirely outbound. Um, so we have a fairly well-defined uh, kind of lead gen and, and uh, sales process, uh, but we've executed that largely manually without investment into marketing up to this point. Uh, so we had a small team of, uh, we call them ADRs, uh, kind of development reps who, uh, essentially prospect into um, uh, customer lists, uh, set up meetings for our account execs and qualify uh, those potential prospects also. So all of that is outbound email and uh, call activity. Um, uh, and then that's driven our, our growth uh, really up to, to the middle of this year. Uh, what we've been doing uh, kind of since the middle of this year is really starting to build uh, 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 a marketing funnel for the business for the first time. So uh, we're in the process of rebuilding our website that, that will be relaunched in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we've recruited uh, a marketing team uh, basically from a standing start. So uh, we, we brought in someone of real experience there, Dr. Chris Bailey, to, to join and lead that effort. And she's done a very good job of building out that team quickly. And then we've started to drive some inbound leads for the first time in Passwords history as well. Um, so, yeah, now I guess it's really about investing into those marketing campaigns, raising the profile of the business. So you'll see us... Um, hopefully a lot more in the market than, than what you've seen historically. Um, and uh, at the same time as we're building that pipeline, we're, we're massively invested into the sales organization as well. So uh, similar to bringing on an experienced leader in the form of Chris Bailey, uh, we've brought in Ray Ryan to be uh, Passport's chief revenue officer. Um, and we're, we're undertaking a fairly aggressive kind of hiring plan um, within the sales organization to, to, to massively ramp our revenue capacity. Um, yeah, up until the middle of this year, we had two, two ADRs and two account execs, and we're currently in the process of ramping that team to about nine ADRs and, and nine account execs, hopefully by the end of this year. That's excellent, Donald. Thank you. That's a really concise plan, and you've got it mapped out there. That's definitely going through a you know, sensible route in terms of what you planned. Now it's like double down, ramp, ramp it up as quick as possible. 
I want to say thank, thanks for joining us today. I'm going to now move on to Ingmar. So, Donald, you can have a rest and go on, go on pause. And Ingmar, in terms of um, you know, you've just taken a, a pre-seed investment. What, what's the focus from your side? Because because you're early on, is it about putting more into product rather than building out sales? So, what what are the thoughts with that investment uh, over the six to twelve months? Yes, exactly. You said it right. So, our co-focus is only product, um, and we divide into two things. So, um, product health. For us means we work on a very good retention rate. We have some metrics that we're tracking for retention rates and for us the key focus is just to focus on this first. So this is why we're currently daily iterating on the product, talking to users and so on. Um, because once we are at good product health um, and we have some idea that um, yeah, users will not churn in a few months, uh, we can then confidently invest into user acquisition. Uh, and there we already have the growth channel set up and we're pretty confident that we can um, achieve a good customer acquisition cost there, but first we need to make sure that the users we acquire, uh, that we don't just simply rent them, uh, but we actually acquire them and they stay with the app. So this is why we invest heavily into product and product. Yeah, that totally makes sense. There's no point in doing all that hard work, spending that money to acquire customers and they disappear four to six weeks later. And, and post-product then, are you looking to go for another round to help you drive more sales or are you going to do a balance around product investment, bring those customers along as you go, and then sort of bootstrap through and start to accelerate it before taking the next round. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it depends. Um, ideally, what we want to achieve before the next round is we want to show our um, next investors, hey, this is, this, these are our retention metrics, uh, so the product is healthy, um, and these are our numbers on custom acquisition, and we already have 10, 20,000 users on the app. This would be an ideal scenario because then we would deploy their capital in order to just acquire new, uh, more users, uh, which is kind of predictable because you have your customer acquisition cost that will change over time still, but it, is, it has some predictability, so it decreased the risk for these investors. Um, and then um, first, in our case, we need to invest more into B2C and uh, grow the platform. Um, and in our case, we also include student society, so that's another stakeholder. We want to scale with that money, and then only we go to companies where we monetize everything um, and scale that side. And in terms of your, your offering as well to market, is, it, is there any seasonal aspects around it, from it being around students and freshers and graduates and such, or is it an ongoing... I've not been at university for a long time, so... <laughs> is it an ongoing activity that you will... See, or will you see spikes and trends over those periods? Uh, your your question was that if there's seasonality in this market. Um, yeah, I was asking: is the seasonality, or is it you know, do you see um, spikes and trends, or is it just flatten out across the whole year? Got just it. With again, um, in the student space. Yep, got it. So you do have some seasons. Um, for example, the freshers are joining the university now, so all of them want to sign up to societies, and student societies start, they have their biggest months in September, October, where they start running events. So they would run them in September, October, and November, uh, and then um, um, reduce events because students are then preparing for their exams again. But there you also have uh, people that, uh, in the time where you prepare for exams, in November, December, and January, and so on, uh, they start looking heavily for internships and spring weeks and inside days. So there is seasonality, um, but uh, it's, not that, um, it's not that extreme. It's not like you have spikes and then users will completely not uh, drop off uh, for a few months. Um, we will always have users uh, because you have different scenarios uh, and, and different types. And in our case, we cover uh, content from events from student societies to inside days, spring weeks, to internships and also to graduate jobs. Perfect, perfect. That makes total sense. Well, Ingmar, thank, again, thanks for joining us, spending that time with us today as well. You, you can now take a rest. I'm going to move around to yourself, Alex. I think your, your offering is every person's... Oh, sorry, Ingmar. No, don't worry, sir. I just want to say thanks. <laughs> no, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Um, yeah, I was going to say, Alex, I think your, your offering is a dream to anybody that's in there, like... 30s, 40s, 50s, that we've got older parents, shall we say. Um, I've got a mother that I think I'll be signing up to the platform straight away. But it'd be good to understand, again, you know, with taking this pre-seed investment, are you working to double down on products and a blend of trying to get some of the um, revenue generated? And what's, what's your focus over the next six to 12 months? Um, I, I would love it if your mum would to sign up and love to get any feedback. So the, the focus now, we're not really optimizing for revenue. We're optimizing for engagement and, and numbers so that we can reach some sort of critical mass 
to um, launch new products and services to serve this market. Online events is is okay, but um, we, you know some of our events we get eight hundred to a thousand people attending, and it's more just sit and listen. It's not really tackling loneliness. It's not really bringing people together. So once we've reached some sort of critical mass, we want to launch some more community features. We would love to trial more cohort-based learning in small groups, whether that be online or offline. Uh, and that obviously requires a certain number of uh, or amount of critical mass in, in geographic locations. Um, so the focus now is growing the team. We're hiring across product partnerships and marketing, doubling down on on growth, both direct consumer through growth marketing methods, but also through partnerships. We've got a partnership with a large retirement builder called McCarthy and Stone, where they pay us to give the platform for free to their 20,000 homeowners. So there's some really interesting opportunities within the retirement space. And um, and then really get under ho- the hood of the of the analytics and, and the numbers um, and perform some cohort analysis. So we, we know our engagement stats inside and out, which will help us when we go to open the next round in about 12 months time. That's perfect. And that, that's a great partnership with McCarthy and Stone out the gates. You can just maximize on, cause like you say, you're getting access there to, to a base of avid consumers. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not joking. I'm going to sign my mum up. <laughs> it's, it, it is one of those ages and sort of um, demographic, like you said at the start, it's just growing larger and the opportunity is going to grow larger as well. But I think, you know, as a society, we don't treat older people as well as we should. Um, and we look at them sometimes as a bit of a pain. Um, and they're not, you know, there's lots of, lots of aspects there that you can go out and do social um, things, but, but tend not to sometimes. Absolutely. Well, perfect. It's uh, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a great offering most, most definitely. And Alex, thanks again for joining us. Um, sorry, I'm wrapping up to the top of the hour and we're now jumping to Mark for the final sort of section and similar, similar to yourself, Mark. So it's interesting with, um, Bankify that you're, you know, a lot of the people, or a lot of businesses we've had on over the last six, 12 months have been more about personal consumer banking, that sort of thing. You're tackling business banking. Uh, so again, it'd be interesting to see how you're going to tackle that head on over the next six to 12 months and what are the plans from your side? Well, it's, it, it's kind of pretty straightforward. We we have a, an aspiration to help um, over 2 million small, business, small to medium businesses um, by 2024 um, through banks. So we don't sell directly to the end user, as I explained before. So our goal is to um, continue to build out a global global software company providing services to that SME community all around the world. So um, actually, um, the announcement that we made um, a couple of weeks ago about the raise, is, is we, we closed the raise back in April. Um, and as I mentioned, we already opened an office in Australia, Singapore, and will be in the US um, before the end of the year. So our plan is to continue um, to sell and partner with um, financial institutions um, in those parts of the world. Um, and that's what um, that's what we we raise that money for. So it's it's to to build um, relationships with financial institutions in in those key geographies. So we targeted. Um, Australia and then Singapore and, and as a foothold in Southeast Asia we've we've won two pieces of business with two banks in that region um and then obviously uh, North America as I say and we we've we've, uh, we've actually um uh, FIS uh, the largest fintech on the planet has actually um become an investor in our business as well and through that relationship we'll be launching a service with them in the UK later this year and then rolling out services in North America, and they have probably two to three thousand community and regional banks that they service in in the United States. So um, um, a lot of focus will be built on a direct uh, to market model in the states, but also through that indirect relationship with FIS. Yeah, they're definitely giving you a fast route to market as a as a partner to take you out there and open up some difficult territories as well um, around that aspect. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say, I was going to say, Mark, and in terms of the the, the plans from 
the platform side and that aspect? Is the money set aside that you can invest to do that, or is that already built out and sort a, a point that it just needs continuous investment? If that makes sense. No, you, you, ne- you never finish building a product, so um, we'll always continue to, um, you know, build out feature function. You'll always have to address tech debt. Um, you'll always have to address um, uh, lots of things within your product. Um, so th- there is uh, obviously part of that money and any money that we raise in, in the inevitable um, other rounds that we'll need to do will always be allocated to further investment into product and people um, because obviously they're the most important things to enable you to continue to stay ahead of game. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Well, Mark, again, like all the speakers, thanks again for taking your time out of your day and, and coming and talking to us and sharing your journey with us. I'm now going to uh, hand over to Manoj to do final notes. Stuart, it's quite surprising. We are finishing five minutes before. Typically, we run out of time. Well done. Uh, I, and uh, Mark, uh, many apologies for pronouncing your brand name incorrectly. Um, I hope problem. it's just me. Um, so it's great to hear from four founders, uh, Donald, Ingmar, Alex and Mark. Thank you so much for taking one hour of your busy schedule on a, on a Monday afternoon. Um, once um, the recording is available, I'll share with that. Um, have a great week and uh, I'm going to close the room now. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Yeah, thank Thanks, you. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks, everyone.